I preach, I, I prepare sermon series 18 months ahead. I prepare, I prepare sermon series 18 months ahead. Um, and I pray and I pray and I pray that God would give us some uh, guidance about how we should wrestle and, and how we should have tension um, on how to be followers of Christ in the 21st century. Um, and so for 18 months, I've had this weekend uh, planned in one sense of, or another. I said, all right, we're going to do a series. I did this like when I was just becoming your pastor, literally, like the first four months. I said, in, in August 2017, we're going to do a series called You Asked For It. Um, and I know one of those questions is going to be, what does the Bible teach about politics? And so I said, well, we're going to prepare for that in August of 2017. And uh, little did I know that the day before that talk would happen, a bunch of white supremacists would, would be walking on the, the, the University of, of Virginia surrounding a, a, a statue of Robert E. Lee. I didn't plan on that happening. But God in his providence knew that we would have need to talk about this today. And I think a lot of times um, when, when, you, when you move, it, it's not a, a preparation and planning and prayer um, really brings to, to life things that we need to chat about. And, and the thing is, you filled out the survey back in March and April, and it came up to be number three on your list. So don't send me emails today, all right? <laughs> don't do it. Don't do it. Don't do it. This weekend has literally been booked, been known about for 18 months, been booked for four, and it happens to be the day after uh, massive hatred because it's something we need to talk about and something we need to chat about. What happened this weekend, I should stick to my notes so I don't end up on YouTube, but what happened this weekend um, isn't politics. It isn't politics. Politics comes from the Greek word politikos. If you know the news outlet politico, it's a play on this Greek word. It means citizen and affairs of the city. So whether you're conservative and voted one way, or you are liberal and voted another way, what happened this weekend transcends all of that. What you're interacting with is racism on an unprecedented level that we haven't chatted about as a country or as a nation in a major way. And you see this showing up in our nation, and you see this showing up in our world in ways that says you need to talk about this. And churches really need to be on the front line of this in a way that says we're all part of the same understanding about who God is. We're all created in his image. And then the conversation starts from there. So what you saw this weekend a lot of times get gets tied to a political figure. And then what we do with that is we demonize the people that might be surrounding themselves around a political figure in hopes to make ourselves feel better. And all that is is pride and power. All that is is pride and power. And the Bible teaches us a good and a better way. And so if 
we could this morning, I'd like to chat about that, about what that good and better way is and how we wrestle to be followers of Christ in a world that is so divisive right now. So without further ado, let's pray, um, and we'll, we'll keep going. Jesus, you see a, a world here um, that's, that's not representative of the way that you intended it to be. And as followers of Christ, our purpose is to be a part of the restoration of all things back to what you'd intended to be and forward to what you hope it to be. And so, Jesus, today what we do is we take all of the presuppositions, all of the angst that, is, 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 that comes around a certain service like this, uh, around a certain topic like this, and we just lay that at your feet because we know you're bigger than any political uh, agenda. We know you're bigger than any uh, divisive nature and culture. We know you're better than and, and, and bigger than all of uh, the ways we hope to uh, present and serve you. And so, God, we ask you in your providence and in your uh, grace and in your mercy, just help us become better followers of Christ first and then citizens. In your name we pray. Amen. Politikos comes from, politics comes from a Greek word called politikos. It means citizen. It means affair. And I'm going to fire hose you today if that's okay. I got, I got like not, a, not enough time to really discuss the politics of 21st century America, but I'm going to try in all, of my, uh, in all of my joy to do that. I'm a big po- politics fan. I watch, I watch 24-hour news. That's fun because I'm a geek. I just go get, have empathy for my wife after, after service. Um, I, I love this stuff. Buddy Cianci said, Rhode Island doesn't have sports. It has politics. That's our sport. That's a, something that we engage in. And so the citizens and the affairs, so what we're doing is, as we engage in politics, what we're doing is we're actually trying to answer the question, what, how do we best order the common life that we have together? And so you talk to a buddy of yours and they say, I'm not that into politics. Okay, that's interesting. Here's the deal. In order for you, let's just do a little test. Who has running water in their house? Come on, let's go. Yep, yeah, that's great. Praise the Lord. We should be grateful for running water, right? In order for running water to make it to your house, there was years and years of planning and decisions to get that water from a reservoir through the ground and by God's glory in your house clean. Political decisions needed to be made in order to make that happen. So when your buddy says to you, I'm not that much into politics, all you have to say is, do you like to shower? you like to shower? Yes. If you do, then you're into politics. Here's what you're not into. You're not into power. You're not that interested in watching people go, go at each other for power. That's what you're not interested in. Because here's the thing. When we start to use politics for what it wasn't used, supposed to be doing for, I mean, I, I know people that love their communities, and they pour themselves out in political policy in order for the service of the city. That's exactly what politics is all about. And, and may I suggest it's actually what Jesus is about. The honor and the glory of serving the people that you're around in order to see them cared for. That's okay. That's good and it's right. But what happens is when we start to use politics for what they're not supposed to be used for, it becomes an answer to one of our worldview questions that it was never meant to be. Remember a few weeks ago I said that the Christian story really answers four questions. If you could throw that on the screen, please. It answers the question, who am I? And the Bible says that you're created in God's image. 
uh, what went wrong with the world, the Bible teaches that sin broke, broke everything. How do we fix it? Redemption and life in Christ is how we fix what's broken. What is my purpose then in that fixing? It's restoration, that I'm participating in the restoration of all things and seeing lives changed by Christ. When we start to answer one of these questions with politics, it begins to unravel. And so if you use politics as creation, you begin to understand what pride is all about. Because then everything that you do, um, everything that you're about, if you go to the next slide, Chris, everything that you do and everything that you're about becomes about you. You're not serving, but really creation, you're creating yourself in God's image and trying to serve yourself by trying to serve the world. If you use politics as, politics as sin, as brokenness, really becomes prejudice in two ways. One, you're active in your prejudice. And so then matters of race and matters of agenda transcend things of service. Or you are passive and you say, I'm not into politics. I'm not that much into politics. And so you have prejudice. You're either active in it or you're indifferent. Politics as a redeemer, when you say, how do I fix what's wrong with the world? It becomes about power. And so if you are looking to politics to be your redemption or to be the redemption of the world, all you will do is care about yourself and care about whose agenda is being supported. You'll care about who's in power in Washington, D.C. If you use politics as restoration, it becomes about preservation. You actually won't be that much interested in fixing anything because you want to make sure that it's all perpetuating on itself so that you can continue to service in your own selfishness. Politics was never meant to be an answer to the Christian story. It was never meant to be an answer to your worldview. Politics is a conduit for service in the community. It's a conduit in the community. And so what we begin to see is, is really a wrestle with what it means to be a political type people in the 21st century as followers of Jesus. I care about the service of our community. You do too, even if you don't know it. You care about that stuff. If water stopped running to your house, all of a sudden you'd become the most political person in your family. So it's not a matter about whether you like politics. It's a matter about how you do politics. It's a matter of how you share politics. Well, here's what happens when Christians and when churches become solely about answering one of the questions, the four worldview questions of Christianity with politics, you diminish a good endeavor like caring for your community. You diminish the church into a political party. You diminish evangelicalism into a voting block. Jesus is not a voting block. We are not a voting block. All we have to do is get the evangelical vote and we win. 
All we have to do is make sure that we have just enough of the race, just enough of the religion, just enough of the thing, and I'm going to do it in this, this state and do it in that state, and that's how we're going to do it. The church was never meant to be a voting block. And so you begin to wrestle. It's really about matters of discipleship more than it is about matters of politics. How you do politics really becomes more about how you follow Jesus well. The disciples, they wrestled with the same thing, believe it or not. Can you imagine that? They deeply understood that the world was broken and they wanted everything to fix it. And it was all about, they wanted Jesus to fix it. But their entire worldview was based off the land and the nation that they were in. God promised them a promised land. And what they find themselves in the first century is that their land no longer exists. The, the, The nation of Rome, the empire of Rome, took over their country. And so God promised them land, their land no longer exists, and they're underneath the, the, the rule of the Roman Empire. And so they believed the Messiah, Jesus, to be the answer to their problem. So much so that after the death and resurrection of Jesus, they asked this question in Acts chapter 1. Look at this. He said, so when the apostles were with Jesus... They kept asking him, Lord, has the time come for you to free Israel and restore our kingdom? That is a national question. That is a political question. He replies, the Father alone has the authority to set those dates and times, and they are not for you to know. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, throughout Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. What does Jesus do here? He flips it. Hey, aren't you going to restore our kingdom? Is that not the same question that you're asking when you're engaging with politics? And what does Jesus say? That's not for you to know. That means all of the stuff that when we're watching, we're hoping certain policies come because that's certainly the world will become a better place when that policy gets passed. Then the world will be a better place and God will be glorified. That's not what Jesus says here, is it? What does Jesus say? You will become my witnesses and you will receive power in order to see the exact change that you want actually take place. You desire for a nation to be restored. You desire for a nation to be healed. You desire for a nation to be centered. You desire for a nation to be glorifying. How does it happen according to Acts chapter 1? Through you. Through you. Look what it says in Matthew chapter 5, in case you you don't believe me yet. You are the salt of the earth, but what good is salt if it has lost its flavor? Can you make it salty again? It will be thrown out and trampled underfoot as worthless. You are the light of the world, and on and on it goes. I'm afraid, guys, I'm afraid that the church will lose its saltiness if all it does is become a voting block. 
if you forfeit the influence that you have as a follower of Jesus for the senator or the representative or whatever it is, for their policies, you are losing your saltiness. But, 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 wait, 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 hold on. I'm going to answer some of the questions that you have in your head later. He flips it. It's going to come through you. Ephesians chapter 1 says this, and God put all things under Jesus' feet and gave him his head over all things to who? Which is his, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Which means that there's no plan B. Here's the tension that we're feeling right now. What kingdom are you primarily a citizen of. When you are a follower of Jesus, it says, the Bible is very clear, that you are primarily a citizen of heaven. Not a place so that we can hunker down and make sure that one day, by God's glory, we'll get there. But the essence, the place where all things are as God intended them to be. as on earth as it is in heaven. And so we struggle with this whole idea about whose kingdom we're actually a part of. And so here's the, here's the deal. You begin to see literally massive separations democracy will give you all of the same type of outlets that Christianity gives you. I'll show you down on a quick breakdown here. If you go to that um, slide with democracy and Christianity, Chris. What kingdom are you a part of? Democracy, they're going to give you a party. They're going to give you a candidate. They're going to give you a platform. And they're going to give you a flag. Christianity is going to give you a church, is going to give you a savior, going to give you scriptures, and going to give you a cross. I'm not saying that you don't serve your community. I'm just saying that your primary identification is not a party. In our church, it's extremely important to me that I have Republicans and Democrats worshiping with us. It's extremely important to me. Because it's in that manner that we learn to bear each other's burdens, learn to declare to have a good conversation with each other, learn to pursue each other in service and grace and mercy and love. If you go to a church that's just all one way, then I make a statement and you'll go, oh my gosh, I love that, that's so awesome. But unfortunately, that's not what the Bible does to us all the time. What does the Bible do sometimes? Punches us right in the gut. Because the, because the Jesus of the Bible is going to fight to be Lord over your heart. And I'm afraid, and I've watched it for three cycles now very closely, is that we begin to trans, transfer Savior for candidate. And we do it every four years. And so what the Bible teaches us is that we need to be 
witnesses, not powerful politicians. The Bible teaches us to be to be witnesses within this culture, not a party. And so when you look at the life of Jesus, you begin to see massively different values, don't you, don't you, don't you agree? Like massively different values that you begin to see on both sides of the aisle, man, like on both sides. So I'm not making a, re- a Republican or Democratic claim. And for all you fun people in the middle, you know, like the libertarians and stuff, you too. But there's none of you, so I don't really address it. I'm just kidding. Everyone's like, I am one. Real fast, a few values that the Bible teaches if we're going to model Jesus in a political culture. Number one, in order to lead, you must serve. You want to be a leader? Do something. Do something. what it says Matthew chapter 20. Jesus called them together and said, you know that the rulers in this world lord it over their people and officials flaunt their authority over those under them. But among you, it will be different. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant. Whoever wants to be your first among you must become your slave. For even the son of man came to be served, not to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. You want to lead? Serve people. That's why I love. Uh, that's why I love Michael and Roxanne Newman doing what they're doing in the Hope Center. That's why we're supporting that. Both of them said this community in Woodlawn needs love. We're not going to lord it over them. That's not how that works. I've walked around Woodlawn with Michael. And what he's done, he say, hey, you want me to tell you that kid's story? How about this kid's story? Hey, the guy that owns this place over here, let me tell you their story. And here's what we do in politics. What we do is say, they don't deserve our time. They don't deserve our attention because they don't agree with me. That's not what Jesus talks about. The mission of Jesus is to be proximate in the midst of pain, in the midst of death, so that we can see resurrection and life take place. And so you want to switch, switch from policy to story. I say this all the time. I don't talk to people any longer about hot-button cultural issues that don't know a person within that community. Someone comes up to me, what do you think about homosexuality? Do you know a homosexual? No, I don't. I'm not having the conversation. What do you think about Black Lives Matter? Do you know someone in the black community? No, I don't. Then I am not having the conversation. Because we have forfeited policy for person. Are you meaningfully connected to somebody in the community of which you disagree with? And if you are, you will have a much different conversation with people around you than if you don't. Why do you think Republican senators and representatives dump their claims as soon as their son or daughter comes out of the closet? Because it changes the way you communicate. I'm not saying whether one is right or one is wrong. I'm just saying it changes you if you know somebody in the community that you disagree with and you serve them and you are actually willing to have the conversation. They will give you the time. Michael, 
Raise your hand. Do, do your friends in Woodlawn care that you're a policeman? Some do. But not all. Because they love you. Because they know you love them. Do you know someone in the community that you disagree with? In order to lead, you must serve. Because that's what Jesus did. Number two, in order to get revenge, you must give grace. Look at Romans chapter 9. Romans chapter 12, sorry. Never pay back evil with more evil. Do things in such a way that everyone can see you are honorable. Do all that you can live in peace with everyone. Dear friends, never take revenge. Leave that to the righteous anger of God, for the scriptures say, I will take revenge. I will pay them back, says the Lord. Instead, if your enemies are hungry, feed them. If they are thirsty, give them something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals of shame in their heads. Do you want to have, uh, do you want to do it the way Jesus says? He says, serve. Give grace. So if you want revenge, give grace. Do you want to receive? Jesus says to give. Do you want to receive? He says to give. You want to get power? Try giving service. Imagine that. Like what he says in Luke. It says this, give and you will receive. Your gift will return to you in full, pressed down, shaken together to make room for more. Running over, poured into your lap, the amount you give will determine the amount you get back. Do you want to receive this morning? The way of Jesus is to give. Do you want to live this morning the way of Jesus says to die? These are the values that Jesus is about. And so here's the thing, though. Here's what you're doing right now in your head, because I know you, because I've done it. These don't work today, do they? These don't work until you see someone actually doing them. Here's what happens. If you say these don't work, you're actually making a, bitter, a bigger claim about what you believe to be true about the scriptures than you are anything else. This will change political climates. And I know so because I watch it. I've, I'm actually involved in those things. And I see the difference when someone actually serves because they care about the affairs of a community versus someone who just wants power, prejudice, pride, or preservation. preservation. So the question is this. Okay, well, that's great. So Jesus is different. I, I get that. How do we actually do these things together, right? How do we actually do them? First, you've got to understand you have to be like this. This is your primary identity. You are not a Republican. You're not a Democrat. That is just the conduit by which you believe the best way to order the community is. You are a first, a Jesus follower, and that's why you care at all. You're first a citizen of heaven. Wanting the world to be a place that looks more like God 
intended than what it currently is. That's first. He says, you will be my witnesses. But you have some options now as a follower of Jesus. And there's multiple people in the first century that had the same option. And they grouped together into different ideas. And there were five major groups, four major groups, plus someone that we should model. It's a Sunday school answer. I'm sure you know who it is. There was a group called the Zealots. And they believed that the best way to take over the, and to see restoration of their community was to attack the culture. And so that's where you see stories like Judas Maccabeus in, in the intertestamental period rising to power and trying to, take, trying to take control over the empire of Rome. They believed that they should attack culture. They should go in and literally fight. In our, in our world, it's not so much fighting because that sends you to jail, but we have free speech, so we're going to verbally abuse instead. Zealots attacked culture. Pharisees, they separated from culture. These were the religious leaders. They're like, well, that, we're too good for that. We're too religious, too pious for those things. And so they made all of their life about separating. Sadducees blended into culture. And so you couldn't tell a difference much between someone who followed after God and someone who was really just a part of the culture. The Essenes, they just lived on a mountainside and probably sang songs on the mountainside with a fire and an acoustic guitar, and everything was fine because they didn't have social media. So it was cool. They just kind of lived there, and it's amazing that we even know about them, right? So they secluded themselves from culture. But what did Jesus do? John chapter 1 says he moves into the neighborhood. Why do we do, why, why, is the, why is the Hope Center in the middle of a neighborhood that we want to see change? Because what are we going to do? Just send some things off like on a pop shot? No. What, we're going to meet the people. We're going to engage with them. We're going to become like them. But most of the time, we spend our time in our nice houses and we kind of hang out there because it's safer and more comfortable. But that's exactly the opposite of what Jesus did. Philippians chapter 2 says that he actually leaves heaven. He leaves all of his power, all of his rights. Now, look, I'm I'm all about religious rights. I don't want to shut this place down, do you? No, it's awesome. That's why you want to keep coming back. But I also see Jesus being the first one to let go of his rights. It's like we're scared of, of, of being misunderstood, but Jesus says to you that his kingdom's not of this world. And so that's why I never understood. Like a few years ago, we did this whole Chick-fil-A boycott. You remember that? That's like, that's sad for multiple reasons other than the political ones. Like, I like Chick-fil-A a lot. But that's why I never understood boycotts. That's not why I understood all of it. And I'm sure you have your reasons for doing those things if that's what you line yourself up into. But I just don't understand it because I see, a, a, I see Jesus leaving all of his rights up in heaven and coming down. He says literally becoming a slave and a human in the midst of the brokenness, in the midst of the pain, so that he could begin to see uh, glory and resurrection and joy and life being pointed back up to the way God intended things to be. 
So you see Jesus incarnating the upside-down kingdom, the way things are as Jesus intends them to be. Our primary citizenship is heaven. Our primary identity is a follower of Jesus. Our primary way to make this work, our primary way to fix this is to serve, to love. And if you don't think that works, then you're making a bigger claim about the Bible than you actually are about politics. So how do you do that well? Because politics, if politics is the citizen, is, is ordering our common life together, if I take Roy and I take Bruce and I sit them down, there's a good chance they're going to agree on a whole lot of things. But there's a good chance they're not going to agree on a whole lot of things. Why? Because we're humans and we have opinions. And I'm not sure whether to thank the Lord for those at times because I sign on to Facebook and I say, man, I just wish we didn't have blowhorns for all the things that we're supposed to be thinking about. But obviously, two people, five people, 164 people, when they get together, they're going to have opinions about the best way to order society. That's good and right. That's okay. Our problem is we don't know how to communicate. Bill Hybels, he's the, the head of the Willow Creek Association and the senior pastor of Willow Creek Community Church. Um, we're in the WCA, that's our major network as a church. He preached a sermon about a year ago, literally like right before the election. He preached a sermon called Respect Everyone Always. You want to know the number one thing that I think will change the culture if you want to be the church? Besides like not thinking out loud on Facebook, if I could just suggest anything. If you didn't hear anything I said today, just please, God, stop doing that. Be helpful on Facebook. Be helpful. Be helpful on Twitter. Be helpful on Instagram. Be helpful. Serve people. Serve people through your platforms. Don't think out loud. But he, he gives us 10 little steps. Bill gave us 10 little steps on how to be respectful for each, with each other. You throw that slide up. I'm going to close with this. Number one, all people are image bearers. All people. Everybody. It's the first chapter of the Bible. You were created in God's image, and so were the people you disagree with. Number two, Differ without demonizing. They are literally not evil people. There might be some evil people. Odds are your crazy uncle on Thanksgiving is not that evil person. You might not like what they think, but they are not evil. Just the way that you communicate to them, you're, de you're demonizing them. Don't demonize don't make judgmental statements. Don't make broad generalizations. Number three, believe the best. Why is that so difficult in today's society? Is to believe the best about somebody. 
We say something about someone, we see something on Facebook, and we think, oh, well, I always knew they were idiots. Differ without demonizing. Believe the best. Don't interrupt or dominate if there's no other one that you work on for the rest of the week. We're going to go to the Hope Center tonight and do a training with some people that want to volunteer. If you want to volunteer, you can still do that. We're going to take people into the middle of the culture because we want to ask questions, good questions. How can we help you? We believe all people are God's image bearers. How can we help you? We want to help you. Learn to ask good questions instead of dominating and interrupting. No incendiary words. You know, literally, Matthew chapter 5 Jesus says, he, he gives us a major point here. He says, you shouldn't even call somebody a fool or you're guilty of murder. Oh, for the times that God has actually, that I've actually said worse. He says, don't be, don't call someone stupid. Don't call someone an idiot. Respect them. They're image bearers. Number six is be courteous to everyone. How would it kill you to say hi to people walking down the street? I always used to make a practice of this in high school. I, was just, I don't know why I used to like making people feel awkward at different times. It just was one of the things. But, but you'd be walking down the hallway. It's just you and that one person. And you know what culture is supposed to tell you to do? It says just put your head down and keep walking, right? You look up, I just stare at them for like 30 yards. Be like, oh no, I'm saying hi to you right now and you're going to get a smile and you're going to love it too. Be courteous to everyone. Don't stereotype. Don't stereotype. I think that's one of the, the nastiest things that happens as a result of all of this junk is that you rob somebody of their image-bearer identity and you call them something that they're not. You judge a book by its cover, you, all of those trite things that you can say, but at the end of the day, what you're doing is you're robbing them of their unique creation by God. Don't stereotype. Apologize quickly. I just saved your marriage right there. I just saved it. Apologize quickly. Say, I'm sorry. Hey, you know what? I completely robbed you of your ability to talk. I'm sorry about that. Will you forgive me? Form opinions slowly. You woke up yesterday and you saw riots in the street of Charlottesville and you put it in a box. Or you sought to understand what was actually taking place. Oh, it's just those guys doing the same old things again. That's not reconciliation. Reconciliation, you're going to seek to understand. 
But lastly, you're going to be a respectful person. You're going to serve. Be prompt and be faithful. Be faithful. We serve a faithful God, and because we experience his faithfulness, we should be faithful to the people that we're in relationship with. Be faithful. Politics is a good and right endeavor because we like to shower. There's no Republican way or Democratic way to get water to your house. And I can't believe I just voted, I just quoted Buddy Cianci in my closer to a sermon, but that's well, the elders, I'm sure, will talk to me about that. But there's no Republican or Democratic way to get water to your house because ultimately politics, what it is, is a way to serve the community that you love. And serving the community that you love is informed by the way you love Jesus because Jesus wants you to serve and love people. So go do that the best you can and be respectful doing it. Remove the incendiary words out of your language. Don't stereotype, don't judge. Love the community that you're in because the community that you're in is full of people that God loves. And those people that God loved were created in God's image. Go be the best politician you can be because you're not seeking to fix the world through policy because you're seeking to fix the world through redemption and through your redemption you're serving the world go be a good politician the world needs you be good politicians because it needs the life of Christ incarnated in the world Jesus we want to be followers of Jesus. We want to be your followers in the world. And God, when Charlotte's, things like Charlottesville come up, we're stuck and we're polarized. But we know that when you saw a world that was polarized between, between salvation and sin, you went and put the cross in the middle. And so God, we pray that you empower us to take up our crosses and be agents of reconciliation in a world of division.